Lord, thank you for who you are, and thank you for this opportunity. Father, I pray that your word that is alive and active, that it would speak so deeply to us today, Lord. Lord, do a great work in your church. We love you, and we give you this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to begin this way. This is our driving question for this morning. Here it is. What do you do when you are confronted with your weaknesses? What do you do when you come face to face with your limitations? What do you do when you come right knocking up against the door of the struggles that you face in your life or the limitations, the ceilings that you experience? The times when you would look and you would say, oh, I'm just discouraged. That's, it's, this is hard for me. What do you do in those times? Now, some of you are thinking already, you're thinking, Jeff, it's sunny outside. Come on. You really want to make us think about our weaknesses? We don't like to think about our weaknesses, do we? That might actually be one of our weaknesses, right? Isn't it true? We, we would much rather talk about our strengths, about the things that, that come naturally to us, about the times when we, it appears as though we have everything figured out and we have everything nice and collected. But when we talk about our struggles, when we talk about the real pain that sometimes life causes us, it's hard. And we want to shy away from it. We want to cover it up. We want to walk away from it. But we're going to see this morning, if we're willing to lean into those things, to lean into our weaknesses, we're going to see this morning from the text that there is the potential then for this, this incredible truth. And I believe that God wants this truth to take deep, roots, deep root in each one of our hearts this morning. But there's this incredible potential for God's truth to come and to, for it to bring hope and life-giving, keyword, strength right in the midst of weakness. But have you ever noticed this? You ever notice this in conversation maybe with people or just kind of observing life that it's much safer, it's much easier, it's much desire, more desirable to talk about how you are strong than it is to talk about how you are weak. A few weeks ago, Rob came up on stage right about this, at this point in my talk and, and he, said, uh, he said, hey, you're talking on spiritual disciplines today, I'd like to challenge you to a push-up contest. And I thought, well, I, I, I kind of had to do a lot of push-ups growing up and so uh, that's okay, I, I like push-ups, so didn't have any problem with that idea. Now, if he would have come up, though, and said this, hey, Jeff, here's a microphone, and here's a guitar, me and you, we're going to have a little singing contest this morning. What do you think? I would have said, no, 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 I'm not interested. And I would have said that for two reasons. One was for my own sake, but the other would be for your sake, right? It would be total brutal, be punishment to you. Talk about exposing weaknesses. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to face weakness. It's a challenge to admit the places in life that are hard. Maybe, you're, maybe just depression is something that you constantly deal with, or you've got a struggle that, boom, when I say weakness, your mind just goes there automatically. None of us would like to come up here on stage and would, would say, Jeff, would you please give me an opportunity to open the journal of my soul and let me bear all of my weaknesses to the crowd. We just don't like to do it. It's much easier, isn't it, to project our strengths. It's much easier, isn't it, to even if you had gotten a fight on the way to church, to get to church and kind of, oh, we're good, talk, we're fine, you know, and to come in the door and smile, right? It's easier, it's more fitting. Raise your hand if that, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> Think about this for a second. Take our presidential debates for an example. Have you ever noticed, have you ever heard a candidate say, now just imagine this happening tonight, work with me on this. I know this is mental gymnastics, but work with me, okay? Imagine really any two opponents. But imagine tonight that, that Donald interrupts Hillary and he says, right in the midst of the heat of the debate, he says, Hillary, you know what? You're right. 
I am so weak in that area. Hillary, you're right. I don't have that figured out. As a matter of fact, Hillary, you, you have a lot more experience than I do in that area. And so you can expect a call from me. Now, I, now hang with me. I know this is hard. But hang with me. Now, what if Hillary then interrupted Donald? And she said this, oh, Donald, while you've been talking, I know you've been, you've been seeing me write. And all of America's wondering what on earth I'm writing about. But I want to tell you, I'm writing about this. Donald, I want you to know that area that you're talking about where you excel, I want you to know I'm insufficient. As a matter of fact, Donald, I'm going to need a whole bunch of Donalds in my life if we're going to succeed in this area. Now imagine that. <laughs> if that happened, the entire world, every breathing creature would have one massive simultaneous heart attack, right? Why? It's because it's hard to admit weakness. It's hard for them and it's just as hard for me. We like to cover though. We like to mask. We like to justify. We like to quickly move on from the things that are causing us so much trouble sometimes. Yet this morning we're going to see this. It would be, key word, wise. For us not to just gloss over our weaknesses, but for us to actually lean into our weaknesses and to follow the example that we'll see in the scriptures this morning because what we would find in that place of embracing and leaning into our weaknesses, we would find true strength. We would find true power. We would find the kind of freedom that maybe we've never experienced before because we're handcuffed to our weaknesses because we're not taking them to the right place. Whether it's a temptation, whether it's a physical pain, whether it's depression, whether it's news that's come to you that has you living in utter despair, whether it's financial insecurity or it's a struggle with your spouse. And maybe nobody else knows about it, but you know what it's like. Or you're watching a child stray, and it is just breaking your heart. What do you do in those times? I believe God this morning wants you to have a breakthrough moment and to be able to release that to him. So give this some thought. Where are you most weak? In the book of 2 Corinthians, when we get to chapter 12, we're going to see the Apostle Paul make a statement, and it's really a statement that not he makes, that, but it's a statement that Jesus said to him, and it's going to redefine for us, I believe, this morning how we think about weakness. But before we get to those verses, 7 through 10, such pivotal verses in the Scripture, before we get there, I want to unpack verses 1 through 6, verses that really set up the context and really help us understand where Paul is going. And so here's the context, and I've got to be honest with you, it is high drama what Paul is experiencing as he writes to these believers in the city of Corinth. Throughout this letter, you've been seeing this flow. If you've been going through 365 with us, Paul is constantly throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he's refuting these false teachers, these teachers that are coming and they're stirring up problems. But they're not the kind of problems that Paul can just kind of turn his head on and walk away from in hopes that they will go away. These are the kind of problems that he knows they will attack the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they're serious. And so Paul just can't gloss over them. And so instead of doing that, he begins to address them. And these people are saying this, these false teachers, they're saying, hey, Paul, you're not a true apostle. And they're quoting all the things that God is doing in, in their lives. And so Paul is really backed into a corner. And so as he writes to these believers in Corinth, he has to justify who he is. He has to justify his own experiences with God. Not because he wants to brag. 
Not because he wants to talk about it. You'll see that plainly today. But because he cares so deeply about the truth of Jesus Christ, the core of the gospel. And so he's willing to put his resume on the line. He's willing to get it out there because he doesn't want anyone to be deceived and taken away from the truth of the gospel. And so Paul then begins to say, this is my spiritual resume. You're saying I'm not a true apostle. Let me just tell you about a few of my encounters with God. Let me just tell you a little bit about how I've pursued making the gospel known to people. And so he begins to do that. We see it in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He writes this. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, he's talking about these false teachers. He says, and then he just kind of imprints here. He says, I'm speaking as a fool, meaning I don't want to brag, but the truth of the gospel is on the line, so I will. He says, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he says, I am out of my mind to talk like this, meaning I, I hate doing this. But, he says, I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and the day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. And he goes on and on. And what is he doing? He's building his resume. Why? Not because he wants people to go, oh, Paul. It's because he wants people to go, oh, let's stick to the truth about who Jesus is because Jesus Christ will change our lives. And so then he goes from what he says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, he goes to 12 and he says this in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting. Here's some more. Although there is nothing to be gained, meaning I don't want to do this, he says, I will go on to even bigger matters, to visions and revelations from the Lord. Again, Paul is saying, in other words, he's saying, I don't want to do this. Nothing is to be gained by this, but I will give you a window into my life, Corinthians, because I want you to believe the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And so then he talks about these revelations and this vision, and he doesn't even speak in the first person. He speaks about this man, but if you read the text, it's clear. Paul is talking about himself, but again, he doesn't want attention drawn to himself, but so he unpacks, though, in verses 1 through 6, this remarkable experience that he's had. Again, he does it. Why? He does it because he's backed into a corner, and he longs for the gospel to be protected. He longs for the Corinthians to go, yeah, Paul, you are the real deal. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah, we will believe who Jesus is, who you say he is, based on the experiences that you've had. So that then takes us to our main text. And he's given now airtime to refute these false teachers. And what we see now happen in verse 7 is Paul turns a corner. Paul turns a corner and what he says is this. He takes the focus off of himself and he puts it onto the one that has been at the center of every breakthrough moment for the apostle Paul. And so he says this in verse 7. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited. Okay, so now imagine Paul's just... He's just laid out his resume, but in order to keep me from being conceited, in order for God to keep me from being a person who would be like those false teachers, who would just gloat over the things that God's done in my life, in order to keep me from being proud, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, Paul says, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Some translations, they don't say torment me. They say to buffet me. It means this. It means to deflate. 
It means to discourage. This thorn in his flesh, we don't know what it was exactly. The scriptures don't say. Some speculate it was a physical disability, an illness, maybe it was a handicap. Some would say it was this group of antagonists that were always in his grill, wanting to dissuade people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Others would say it was a temptation. That Paul was just face to face with the temptation. But what we know is this, it was so significant and Paul hated living with it. Can you relate to this? What would you say this morning is your thorn in the flesh? Maybe it's big, maybe it's small. I thought specifically of the person who's here today and you, you would just say, wow, I am up against the wall with this one. I don't know what to do. It's overwhelming to you. And you live with it every day and you understand, you understand so well what Paul said when he talked about his weaknesses. You understand what it's like to live in that place. And then Paul wrote this in verse 8. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, meaning he said, God, would you take this away from me? God, please, I'm pleading with you. Have you ever asked God to heal you? Have you ever asked God to take you and deliver you from the bondage of some relationship? Have you ever asked God to take you from something that was causing you grief? And he didn't. And you come here today and you would say, the cloud is still over my head on this one. That was the experience of the Apostle Paul. He hadn't been delivered from it. So then he says this in verse 9. He says, but he, Jesus, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, you are not insufficient when you lean into your weakness. Because when you lean into your weakness, that's when you will find my power We've got to be really confident of this this morning. When we talk about weaknesses, we've got to realize that our weaknesses can and they do, if we take them to Christ, they lead to God's greatest opportunities. So often people will look back and they'll say, oh man, I remember when I went through that, it was such a weakness, that was such a hard part of my life, or this disability came, or my child's dealing with this, but they say, I've seen God now in ways I never would have seen him before. I'm not beaten down by this. I've actually been blessed by this. You know, one of the things that I love about our Go Team trips that you heard about this morning is this. They push us to go into our places that are foreign to us. They push us out of the normal wheelhouse of where we're good oftentimes. And so we step into a foreign country or foreign whatever, around doing things that are foreign to us. And all of a sudden, we're in the wheelhouse, we're in, this, we're in our weakness. That's the spot that we're in. And so often, people will say this. They will say, it was in that place that God met me the most I've ever experienced before. Why? It's because they stepped into weakness, and they had to rely on him. And so they saw, God, your grace, your power is made sufficient in my weakness. I remember being a college student, and I was leading a trip of college students in Turkey, and I remember over the course of this nine-week trip, my weaknesses came to light again and again and again. But if you would say to me, Jeff, would you lay out for us what are some of the key moments in your life where God really showed his power and his activity, without a doubt I would point to that trip. Why? Because when you are weak, when you step out of your normal zone, you experience the activity. That's the grace of God. God's grace is sufficient for you in that. 
when you're willing to step, when you're willing to embrace that weakness, that's when you experience God's grace. Have you ever noticed that God can take our greatest weakness and he can literally transform them sometimes into our greatest opportunities to see him display his power? Just this week I heard these kind of stories and I wasn't fishing for them at all. One gal who suffers from a disease that will likely plague her for the rest of her life. She said this. She's suffered uh, from this for years now. She said, I'm finally finding my purpose in this. I'm seeing how God is taking my weakness, this area of life, that if I could change it, I would have said, yes, change that. I don't want that. But in the midst of that, she said, now I'm seeing how God is using it, and I'm amazed. I was meeting with a godly young man this week, so proud of this young man. He's going through a challenging time It's a lonely time. It's a hard season for him, but I'm so proud of him. He said this. He said, I've grown so much in my faith through this experience, and what he's doing, and I commend him for this, he's not running away from God in this. He's running right to God in it, and what he's finding is this. God's strength is enough, and it is good. In his weakness, he's becoming strong in Christ. And then just yesterday, this was such a gift to me. I was finishing up this message, and I got a call from one of my closest friends growing up, and Several years ago, he was in a boating accident, and he lost his arm, and then he he lost both of his legs in this accident. And as we talked on the phone, this was such a blessing to me. He said this. He said, Jeff, it's taken me a while, but I've found God through this. Now think about it. His injuries, his weaknesses will plague him every day of his life from now on forward. But think about this. God has used that weakness. God has used that trial to change his eternity. Life now is impacted, yes, but oh, eternity, that is grace. That is God's grace. That is God's power made perfect in weakness. What story could God write? If you took your weakness and instead of owning it, instead of bearing the burden of it, you released it to Jesus Christ, and you said, okay, God, I give it to you. Your grace is sufficient, and now, Lord, I'm waiting to see your power made perfect in my weakness. Paul goes on. He says this in verse 9. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me, meaning I'm not even going to keep quiet about my weakness. I'm going to boast about them. I'm going to say, this is where I'm weak because this is what happened to Paul. There were times when Paul probably didn't want to speak up. It's pretty clear in the scriptures. He wasn't that articulate at times. And so what does Paul do in that time? He goes to God and he says, okay, God, this is my weakness. And what does God give him? God gives him the courage to speak so boldly that so many people come to know Christ. There were times when the apostle Paul said, this is my weakness. I hate these people. But you're asking me to love them. So God, I will love them. That's my weakness, God. And now I love them and now their lives are transformed by Christ. That's your power being made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast because your grace, it is sufficient for me. It is sufficient for a breakthrough. And then this is the last verse we'll look at, verse 10. Paul says, that is why for Christ's sake, this is so powerful. You kind of read it and you go, really? That is why, for Christ's sake, he says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. For the follower of Jesus Christ, strength and weakness have got to go together. You've got to see it that way. When you're weak, church, you're strong in Christ. When you're struggling and when you're overwhelmed, church, you're strong in Christ. While it feels like a horrible place to be, it can drive you to the greatest opportunity for God to display his power and his majesty and his goodness. I couldn't get this image out of my mind this week. You remember the story in the Gospels of the prodigal son. This young son, dishonest or, or dishonoring, he, de, you know, he demands his father's inheritance, that the, this money that his father has earned over not a year but over a lifetime. And in a dishonoring way, he takes the money then, he goes off and he squanders every last cent of it. And then when he's humbled, He comes back to his father, and that is the apex of the story. That's the moment that people talk about in this this story. And it's so significant because weakness meets strength. The father, in his grace, goes and meets the son. They They come together, and what is on display? The grace of God. Weakness meets strength, and it comes together, and we see the grace of God. It's the apex of the story because the younger son said, I am weak, I am broken, I am humbled. But I'm not going to stay away. I'm going to go to the one who can actually be helpful. I'm going to go to my father. And in that moment, that son becomes the strongest he's ever been. He experiences the power of God. True strength will not come when you get it all cleaned up, church. True strength will come when you admit where you are weak and you turn to the one who can really give you strength. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say things like this, Christianity is for the weak. And I'd argue, yes, it is for the weak. It is for the weak who know how they can truly become strong, right? In 1633, Rembrandt painted this famous picture. You, maybe you've seen this before. We'll put it up on our big screen as well. And this is a, a famous picture, and it's really it's depicting this scene from Mark chapter 4 in the Gospels. And it's this picture of the Sea of Galilee being in a raging storm, like Hurricane Matthew type, I mean, brutal. And in the midst of that, Jesus goes and he takes a nap. Imagine. And so Rembrandt paints this picture of what it must have been like and how the disciples responded to that. In the midst of their utter weakness, how did they respond? You see the guy in the front of the boat. He was probably a professional sailor, no doubt. He's up there and he's saying, I'm going to fix the main sail. We're going to get this thing figured out. We'll get this thing going again. And then zoom in just a little bit and look at some of these guys. This one's saying, hey, yeah, let's just get this thing together. And you can imagine the scene. I mean, the, the storm is coming. The sails are whipping around. The rigging's probably going crazy. This guy here is, what's he doing? He's sick. He's puking right over the edge. <laughs> look at this guy here. He's got his hand on the tiller there. And he's leaning as hard as he can, no doubt, a professional fisherman. And he's looking ahead and he's saying, I'm going to direct this ship as best I can with all of my strength. We're going to go that way. We'll go through the clouds. We'll be, we'll be fine. We'll get out of this, the way of this storm. And then you've got this guy here. He's grabbing Jesus' cloak. And the scriptures even record that one of them said this, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And I bet you Jesus said in that moment, Hey, easy on the cloak, man. I knew this storm was going to come. But then there's this one guy, and this is why Rembrandt paints the picture. Notice this guy right here. What is he doing? 
He's the only one out of everybody in the boat that Rembrandt wants to make this point, who will we be like in the boat? Will we be like the guy on the front that's taking charge and I'm the leader and, and we'll manage our way through this? Then he paints this picture of this one guy that's at the feet of Jesus and he knows the storm is going crazy, but I'm at the feet of the one who knows the storm was going to come and he knows when it will end. And Rembrandt's encouragement, undoubtedly, with this picture is this. Who are you going to be like? Because this guy embraced his weakness, there's no doubt about it. He said, it doesn't mean no good to look around. It does me no good to figure out how to make this thing work. The best thing that I could do is just to come and to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And I wonder this morning, how many of us in here today just need to say this. I'm tried, I'm worried, I'm over, I'm anxious on all of this the thorn in my flesh is this, you can name it. But I wonder how many of us, God, would just say, I want you just to come to me. I want you to experience my good grace. My power will be, my grace will be sufficient for you. Here's how I want to end this morning. Um, I want to give you three words, and I want to ask you just to, to pick one of these. One of these words that you would say, maybe this is your prayer this morning. Maybe you even jot the one down for you that, that applies to you. Just pick one this morning. The first word is this. It's the word courage. For some of you this morning, maybe you just need the courage just to kind of look at your weakness in the eye and say, you know what, God, I need the courage to trust you with it. God, I need to believe that you are faithful. I don't think many of you need more knowledge about who God is today. You know who God is. Many of you do. You've experienced his faithfulness. You've seen his faithfulness time and time again. You know that God forgave your sins. You know that he's alive and well, that he showed up in your life. You don't need more information this morning. You need courage. You need the courage based on the reminder of who God is to keep going. A couple years ago, Christina was driving to church one Sunday morning, and she had just found out that her mom's brain was littered with tumors. She'd just gotten the news of that. And she turns on the radio, though, as she's turning into the church, and, and she's overwhelmed. She's just gotten the news of this. And these are the, 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 the words that were in this song were these, this, I love more. That's all she needed. She knew, okay, that's a reminder. That's who God is. And it gave her the courage to say, okay, we're going to walk through this because I have the reminder of who God is. Or maybe for you this morning, the word is Surrender. Maybe you've been kind of clinging to this and saying, I can figure this out. I can get through this. Maybe today it's the day where you just say, you know what? I don't need to be like the guy on the front of the boat trying to get the, the, the sail to, to get right so that we can get moving. You need to be the guy that walks to the back of the boat and doesn't grab the tiller and tries to take control. But you need to be the guy that gets down on his face before God and says, I surrender. I was talking to a gal this morning going through an incredible trial. And she said to me, she said, I'm just laying it before God. I'm just surrendering it to him. And I thought, that is the smartest thing you could possibly do. Because she can't do anything about it, but she can do actually something great about it. She can surrender it to God and find that his grace is so sufficient and that his power is going to be made perfect. And then the last word is this. Maybe for you this morning it's this. It's perseverance. That gal also said to me, she said, I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other. You know, you might have like a, a chronic thing in your life. Like it's just ongoing. That's your weakness. 
And so the word for you this morning is, it's God, would you give me the grace to persevere? God, I'm not going to give up because you surely haven't given up on me. But I'm going to keep going and I'm going to work through this. And I'll look back one day and I'll say, God's grace was sufficient. Look what he did. I didn't see his purpose in it, but now I see his purpose in it. I love this. I'm going to read this to you. Eugene Peterson did a paraphrase of this passage. I want to read this to you real quick. He says this. He says, at first, I didn't think, it was a, it, I didn't think of it as a gift. And I begged God to remove it. So he's paraphrasing Paul's words. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all that you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. Imagine that. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse and accidents and and, uh, opposition and bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Maybe this morning God would say to you, just grab that truth. When you're weak, you are actually at your strongest point as long as you bring your weakness to him. You know, Robin and the band are going to come out, and, and I just want to give you a little bit of time this morning to look at these three words again. Here they are. And grab your word this morning. Is it courage? God, give me through this. Give me the courage to keep going. Is it surrender? God, I just give it up to you. Maybe even today you'd say, I give my entire life to you, Lord. Or maybe for you today it's perseverance. God, one step in front of, one foot in front of the other, Lord, I will not stop because you have not stopped on me. I was so burdened this week for some of you because I just sense God longs to release you. God longs for you to walk in the freedom of his grace. And so let me, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we come to you and Father, in this moment, we just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be all that we need right now. God, I pray that you would speak to us, Father. I pray that there would be a sense, Father, you would meet us in this place. Maybe we would say, Lord, okay, God, I need the courage. Or maybe we would say, God, I I surrender my life to you. I trust that you died for me and you longed for me to know you. Or maybe this morning it's, Lord, I will persevere. I will keep going. And so, Lord, we love you, and Lord, we pray now that we would encounter you.